So let's think for just a second about what we've already talked about. Okay. So far, God made you a man. And as a man, God made you to rule and subdue, to learn and to make and to conquer, to tame the wild and to beautify the ugly. That's what God told Adam to do. Protect the weak and overcome evil. And if you don't understand that, then all you'll think you need in this life is buddies. You know? Life is boring. There's nothing really to do. So I might as well have some buddies. We might as well shoot some pool together. We might as well drink together. We might as well hunt together. We might as well play games together because that's just, what else is there? I mean, right? So all you need is buddies. But that's not true. You will waste your life and you'll become weak and useless and soft. And you'll become entrenched in your sins and your bad habits and your blind spots. And you will not be useful in this world. You will not be useful in your family or in your church or in the kingdom of God, your community. So first, number one, God made you a man. Number two, second main thing, God made you to need friends. If you're going to do the work of manhood, you need to cultivate the art of friendship. We talked about those different kinds of friends, right? Just friends, rust friends, trust friends, and must friends. And we should have friends of all sorts. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But if we're going to be serious about our calling as men, especially as Christian men, we have to have trust and must friends. We need to have friends who will take us to task, who will tell us the truth, who will bear our burdens, who will rebuke and encourage and confront us. And, yeah, who we simply like to be with. You know? That helps. That's the grease between the gears. We need friends who we trust with our lives. We need to be that kind of friend to other men. And remember, if you don't have that kind of friend, step one, be that kind of friend. And be the man that would, that kind of man would want to be friends with, right? And so don't get depressed about it. Do something. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. Third, we also talked about friendships with women in general and with your wife in particular and brothers. Just to say it again, don't be naive about the power and the temptation and the danger of being good friends with women who are not your wife. God made us male and female. Do not underestimate or minimize the danger of trying to be friends with women. Be friendly. But you know what I'm talking about. And work hard at being a true companion to your wife. But remember, she's not a man. She's not made to do the hard work that needs to be done with you. You need men for that. And so, tonight, what we're talking about, the question is, How can you build your band of brothers? Use that term multiple times this this weekend. How do you build your band of brothers? So my first point is, you need a band of brothers. I'm just kind of saying the same thing over and over again here. (laughs) You need a band of brothers. And now in preparing for our time together, one of the books I read is called Building Your Band of Brothers. Well, that might be helpful. It's by a guy named Stephen Mansfield. Don't know much about him, but this was a helpful book. It's a helpful little book. It's about a hundred pages long. He says in a hundred pages, you know the kind of book. He says in a hundred pages what should have been 25 or 50. 
You know what I mean? But it's a good little book. Now, where did we get this term, band of brothers? Where does that come from? Where did it originally come from? Anybody know? No. Way back. No. Shakespeare. (laughs) Henry V, I believe it was. So in Henry V, Shakespeare play, Henry V has some amazing speeches in it before battle. It's absolutely worth reading at least those parts, okay? And in Henry V, in a speech given by King Henry before the Battle of Agincourt, he says this, We few, we happy few, we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Right? So yeah, it comes from battle. Of course, it was used in as the title for that series. Remember the series, Band of Brothers? Anyone ever seen that? About Easy Company, 2nd Battalion, 506th Parachute Infantry Regiment of the 101st Airborne Division, World War II. Any airborne guys out here? Nobody? No airborne guys. Someone's pointing at somebody. Okay. Yeah. But you're not, you're not that old. <laughs> well, thank you. My son was airborne as well. So whenever we hear this term, band of brothers, we automatically think of battle. That's right. That's exactly what I want us to think about tonight. I want us to think about battle. Your band of brothers does not exist to shoot hoops or to shoot trap or to shoot the bull, all of which are great, some of which we've done today. Your band of brothers does not exist to hang out with and to watch the game or to play the game, which is all fine, but that's not the point. You and I need a band of brothers because life is a battle, a battle against ourselves, primarily against our lusts, against our sins, and a battle for what is good and true and right, a battle for the advance of God's kingdom in this world. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. The cosmic powers over this present darkness. Oh, that's easy. No, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. That's what, that's what we're up against. First Peter 2.11 Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain with, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. This is a battle. Hebrews 12. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. He did. And we must. Life is a battle. The Christian life, by definition, is a battle. Is this the language of peace? 
Is this the language of ease? Is this the language of relaxation? No. This is the language of war. And it's a war that we're all a part of, and it is not optional. Warfare is the normal Christian life. For a select few, once you've enlisted, you're in. Once you've believed, you're in. If you're not experiencing anything of this inward and outward warfare, then there's something wrong. There's something very wrong. We all go through times when we let our guard down, we become lazy, we go AWOL maybe, right? But that's not normal. That's not what we're made for. God will not let his soldiers consistently go away without leave. Being a combatant in this warfare is the normal life of a true Christian. I'm going to read some J.C. Ryle to you. You guys know who J.C. Ryle was? Bishop in the Anglican Church in England. He was a good man. Listen to what he says. The first thing I have to say is this. True Christianity is a fight. True Christianity. Mind that word true. Let there be no mistake about my meaning. There is a vast quantity of religion current in the world which is not true genuine Christianity. It passes muster. It satisfies sleepy consciences, but it is not good money. It is not the real thing, which was called Christianity 1,800 years ago. 2,000 years ago, we would say. There are thousands of men and women who go to churches and chapels every Sunday and call themselves Christians. Their names are in the baptismal register. They are reckoned Christians while they live. They are married with a Christian marriage service. They are buried as Christians when they die but you never see any fight about their religion of spiritual strife and exertion and conflict and self-denial and watching and waiting. They know literally nothing at all. Such Christianity may satisfy man and those who say anything against it may be thought very hard and uncharitable, but it certainly is not the Christianity of the Bible. It is not the religion which the Lord Jesus founded And his apostles preached, true Christianity is a fight. He says the true Christian is called to be a soldier and must behave as such from the day of his conversion to the day of his death. He is not meant to live a life of religious ease, indolence, and security. He must never imagine for a moment that he can sleep and doze along the way to heaven, like one traveling in an easy carriage. If he takes his standard of Christianity from the children of this world, he may be content with such notions, but he will find no countenance for them in the word of God. If the Bible is the rule of his faith and practice, he will find his lines laid down very plainly in this matter. He must fight. So being a combatant in this warfare is the normal life of a true Christian. We need deep friendships in order to fight this battle. So we need a band of brothers. What exactly is a band of brothers? Second question. What exactly is a band of brothers? Well, Stephen Manfield, in that book I told you about, he says this. He says, a band of brothers, in the sense that we use the words in this book, is not a meeting, a club, a therapy group, or a self-help society. It is the group of men we do life with. It's the team of brothers committed with us to the cause of great manhood, committed with us to the cause of great manhood. 
It is the band of men with whom we build a manly culture of inspiration and achievement. He says a band of brothers is those men whom a man cherishes, with whom he does life, and who are willing to invest with him in the pursuit of righteous manhood. It describes those happy warriors who strive together to become the men they are designed to be. So that's why we had to talk first about what is a man? What are we even fighting for here? And again, this assumes that there is a massive and magnificent task to accomplish. One of those tasks is to to become a good and godly man. Again, it's impossible to do that alone. Mansfield says this, The man who is self-defined, who lives only in the light of his own understanding of himself, right? The one who only lives in light of his own understanding of himself is a fool. That's what Mansfield says. He says, none of us can see ourselves inside or out with absolute clarity. None of us have enough insight into who we really are to coach ourselves. We need to be defined by God and others. We need to be guided by people who are near to us, but different from us. And that is what a band of brothers is. It's not just a group of buddies. It's not just an accountability group. You ever been a part of an accountability group? How'd that work out for you? <laughs> here's what here's what Mansfield says about this, about accountability groups. He says Accountab- accountability groups are gatherings in which men tell each other what's going on in their lives. Sounds good. Then there is discussion, maybe prayer. Sounds good. Then he says this, these groups don't tend to work. Let me tell you why. He says, if you are waiting for me to figure out what is wrong with me, hang on to that knowledge for two or three weeks until the next meeting, and then have the courage to drive across town and talk to you about it honestly over bacon and eggs, well, you'll be waiting a long time, and I'll be in trouble. You see, we men, we lie. We forget. We'll shade the truth to keep a friend or just to save our image. Most of us would rather die a slow death of some unchecked moral flaw than to ever open our lives to the scrutiny of other men. I'm not immune to this, he says. Neither are you. No, I need what you need. I need men walking closely enough with me to know who I am. I need men who love me but aren't afraid of me. I need men with whom I can experience the joy and wildness of being a man, but who are also invested in me being all I can be, just as I'm invested in them. To be the finest man I can be, I need big brothers, little brothers, fathers, and just plain buddies. I need men who know what I can be and know what might keep me from it. I need men who can push me to my purpose. There's got to be more than just the self-reporting of an accountability group. How'd you do this week? Uh, I did great. Well, you know, there was that one little thing, but you know, actually I'm, I'm really better now. BS. So what would this look like? He explains. He says, let me be even more specific. He says, I need men who walk closely enough with me to notice the angry cell phone call I just had with my wife. They have to have the courage to mention it and ask what's going on. They help. 
They insist on my best. They're also near enough to know when I'm checking out the backside of the waitress. Eh? They point it out. They challenge me. They ask what's going on at home. So that's what we're talking about. Got to be close enough to men who actually see you sin. And then those men have to be willing to say, hey, what's going on? If it's all about self-reporting, you'll never self-report the important things. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? He says, our band of brothers needs to be what he calls a free fire zone. A free fire zone. Let me tell you, what we had at the range today was most decidedly not a free fire zone. Right? It was very controlled. Thank you, men. Fantastic. Careful. Safe. Not a free fire zone. What's a free fire zone? Free fire zone is the zone in a battlefield in which a soldier may fire freely, right? In which he may shoot as he deems necessary in the midst of the battle. Doesn't have to ask permission, doesn't have to wait for the command. It's, there's an enemy, if I see him, I shoot him. This is what we need in this, in the culture of a band of brothers. He says it like this. He says, when it comes to building a band of brothers, a free fire zone is created by an agreement among everyone in the band that anything that must be said to make a man better will be said. Period. Each man extends to his brothers the right to address what needs to be addressed to help make him the man God intended. So that's what a band of brothers is. A group of trust friends and must friends who love me enough to meddle. Love me enough to meddle. Who love me and my family enough to meddle. To not sit back and watch me ruin my life. Who love me enough to push me where I'm weak, to rebuke my sins, to call me to be to this godly, noble manhood. Now, wouldn't that be great? Would it? Be careful what you wish for, you might actually get it. <laughs> it all sounds all great now, doesn't it? Doesn't it all sound great now? Yeah, that's what we want. We see how good this would be. But there will be times when you absolutely hate it. If it's actually happening. Right? You know what I'm saying? Because why? Because we're proud. You might say, hey, I I didn't sign up for this. Oh, yes, you did. I don't care if you have a band of brothers or not. You did, in fact, sign up for this. (laughs) You're a Christian. So if if you build a band of brothers that actually works, that's actually faithful to one another, there will be times when you resent your brothers. And you'll want to withdraw and hide from them. You'll want to lie to them. But you can't do that. And if your brother, if your brothers do that, you can't let them. All right. Last question. Number three. How do we build a band of brothers? All right. This is what it all comes down to. How do we do, what are we going to do? How do we do this? Well, first, start where you are. Literally. Here you are. Look around. You are here. Surrounded by men who at least have one thing in common. Right now, you all have one thing in common. You know what it is? You're here. You're here. And you've heard everything I've said. I'm assuming that 
most of you go to church together, a church, not necessarily Pine Grove. So you actually do have a lot in common. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and through all. That's how the Apostle Paul puts it. That's what we have in common. Those are some big, big things. So start here. You have friends. You should have friends here. Now, don't worry. That doesn't mean that all the men here need to be your best friends, your trust friends and your must friends. Remember, our Lord Jesus Christ had the circles of friendship. There will be men here you simply don't connect with. That's fine. Don't feel like, oh, I'm not friends with all of the men in an equal way. Who cares? Not the point. But at least you know that most of the men here share some some very basic, very important, common beliefs and goals and battles. So start here. Just think, who do you actually already gravitate towards? Who did you spend most of your time talking to today? Well, here's an idea. Maybe that's the beginning of a band of brothers, right? Who do you already hang out with? Who do you find it easy to be with? You need to start talking among yourselves in the light of this retreat, this, sorry, this advance. Yeah. Start talking among yourselves. Start being intentional about moving your existing friendships out of the casual zone into the free fire zone. It won't happen automatically. You've got to say, okay, I want to do this. Will you do this? Will you do this? Can we do this together? Let's talk about it. Make your terms, make your commitments, and start. Second, start suffering together. Start doing battle together. Start working together on a common mission. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, this is a key point about, about male friendships. He says, friends are not primarily absorbed in each other. It's one of the major differences between women friends and men friends. C.S. Lewis says women friends are like looking at each other and they're, that men friends are shoulder to shoulder. Here's what he says. Friends are not primarily absorbed in each other. It's when we are doing things together that friendship springs up. Painting, sailing ships, <laughs> praying, philosophizing, fighting shoulder to shoulder. That's when real friendship comes up. Just start being together intentionally with some work to be done, some argument to be had, some book to read, some project to tackle, some mission to complete. It's got to, it helps if it actually means something. There's something actually at stake. There you'll find the beginnings of a band of brothers. This is why Aristotle said, to be a friend to someone, you must eat a sack of salt together. He meant we need to go through life together, thick and thin, meals, sorrows, battles, everything in between. We see this in Scripture. Remember I read this last night, or sometime, this morning, kind of feels like last night. <laughs> Remember the deep affection that the elders in Ephesus had for the Apostle Paul. Remember? They were weeping, they were embracing him, and they kept kissing him. Do you remember this? Now why? Where did that love come from? It came from doing battle together. 
The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus. He fought with those men. Not against them, with them. The one time that old British men will cry their eyes out, old British men, the Stoic types, you know, the one time they'll cry their, their eyes out is with, is when they're with their buddies from the war. That's how it works. Do you remember the deep love that King David had for Jonathan? Do you remember what David said when Jonathan was killed in battle? Second Samuel. He says this, how have the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? Jonathan is slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was more wonderful than the love of women. How have the mighty fallen and the weapons of war perished? Your love to me was more wonderful than the love of women. Now, you know what fools say about those words, right? You know what they say, right? They say David and Jonathan were gay. And the only people who could possibly conclude that David and Jonathan are gay is people who have no concept of what? Battle. No concept at all. No concept of the bond that comes when men risk their lives together, when they do difficult things together, when they go through intense spiritual conflict together, when they bleed together. The only possible explanation that soft people have for this brotherly love is that they must be buggering each other. No. David and Jonathan had a friendship forged in common suffering and common purpose. And David could say, your love to me was more wonderful than love of women. Okay? This is another reason that you need man friends. Because there is a kind of friendship, battle friendship, that your wife can never give you and never understand. A couple of you have said your wife doesn't like the idea of you not being her best friend. I, we can all understand that, right? It feels threatening to her, right? But take some time. Help her. Help her. Don't be defensive about it. Help her to understand, honey, there's something different. Read this passage about David and Jonathan. See now, honey, were David and Jonathan gay? Is that what's going on here? Seriously, this would be a good exercise for you to do with your wife, if your wife is concerned about this. Honey, were David and Jonathan gay? Well, no. Okay. What's going on? Explain to her that there's something different about men who bleed together. And it doesn't supplant, it doesn't take the place of, it doesn't overturn, it doesn't replace your love for your wife. It's a different, totally different thing. I want to close with one more quote from Mansfield's book, okay? And then we'll be done. Here's what he says. He says, Everything noble and manly arises from this. The gifts of a man for standing guard. The power of a man's words to guide and encourage. The radiation of a man's presence and his capacity to stand down enemies with barely a word. His skill for scanning a scene and detecting threat or need for repair. The, the insight to envision a future and fashion a plan to achieve it. 
the ability of men to team up, assume tasks according to skill, and go to war. The fierce capacity of most men to love deep, love rowdy, and love with almost terrifying passion. These are just some of the gifts that begin to emerge in a man when he decides to fulfill his calling to the glory of God. we got work to do. we got work to do. It's bigger than your little concerns. We're talking about the kingdom of God. We've got work to do. I know some of you are, are uh, what shall I say? Some of you are older than me. That's what I'll say. <laughs> You're not done yet. You're not done yet. So much good that you men can do, you older men. One of the best things you could do is work on the younger men. Look at, look at these younger men. They're all back in the corner acting cool. <laughs> look at these young guys. And there are many more in your church, in your churches. What do you old men have? Sorry. You elderly gentlemen. What do you gray-haired men have to offer to them? So when you start thinking about a band of brothers, make sure you, 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 you rope in some of those guys, the, the young guys. They need you. They need you. Some of them, you know young men who don't have fathers. You know men, young men who have fathers. You know men, young men who have good fathers. It doesn't matter. They need you. And you young men need them. All right? So we got work to do. Let's, uh, let's work on it. Okay? You do that? All right. Let's pray. Father, again, we call on you for help. We are weak and proud and blind. So, so often foolish. And so we need your help, especially. And we need your help through the men who can help us. So please, we pray, help us, help us not to walk away from here and do nothing. Even tonight, help us to to get this started and to do this work. Even if it's awkward, even if we are weirded out by it, please, Lord, help us to do it. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.